Amen. You know, Andrew, when Pastor Jeff asked us to preach together, I thought, you know, he must think he wants the best and the brightest on staff. And I'm realizing now a couple weeks into this. His word's not mine. I did not that's what say you told that. Me. No, I did not. <laughs> I realized a couple weeks into this, it's really because he wants to make sure we don't do anything that we're not supposed to. So he created this a little accountability. accountability. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, But we'll, exactly. we'll just see what happens. Pastor Jeff's not here this morning. So um, <laughs> good morning. You know, when I was in college, you know, I didn't do the normal go to high school and, and, and really pick and choose and aspire to go to college one day. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I wasn't the best student. And so I, I was just kind of thinking one day, maybe I'm just lucky to get there, you know. So I started junior college. And then a week before the semester started at Trinity International University, I received a scholarship. So I gave my mother a one-week notice that I was leaving for college in Chicago, which was about two hours from home. And that was, that was a kind of a traumatic experience, but it was, it was August 18th when I showed up to Trinity for orientation, and then September 25th happened, and you can, you know, your brain can go all kinds of places, but September 25th was the release date for Halo 3 on the Xbox 360. <laughs> And this was a big deal in our, in our dorm. So I lived, I lived on a, a, a dorm, a floor okay. of 40 guys. It was five rooms with eight guys in it. Ooh. It was quite Ooh. the experience. Um, and, and we loved this game. And, and the reality is some of us loved it more. I remember my friend Scott who, who kind of was there one day. It was a Thursday. I went home for the weekend. And I came back on Sunday, and he was still... In the exact same place. Same clothes and everything? Same clothes, oh, but oof. I do believe that there was a time or two where the restroom was used, Lord willing, um, <laughs> somewhere besides next you know, to the chair. But he, he had played this whole weekend. And what happened is so many of these guys started playing more and more. And I've been blessed to be terrible at video games my whole life. And so <laughs> I knew that if I got hooked on this video game that I might have an issue, really. I mean, Bible, you know, Trinity International University is... Uh, a pretty, it's an awesome school, but it's pricey, right, tuition, and so there was a real nerve about getting too hooked on this game, but unfortunately, the other guys on my floor didn't, didn't do so well, so September 25th, the game came out, by the end of the semester, which was middle of December, we saw seven guys fail and have to go home. Seven of the 40? Seven of the 40 on my floor had to go because of this video game, and 13 were put on academic probation because so of 50 half of the, the guys. floor. And so technology, uh, you know, in terms of video games in college, I've, that's one of my experiences of maybe, you know, need to be guarded a little bit. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we probably all have stories like that where we've seen technology be addictive or have sure. disastrous consequences. And because of that, it, it it's really easy at times for us to all assign technology a bad rap. Uh, technology kind of becomes the scapegoat for all the evil, all the selfishness, all of the terrible things that happen sure. in the world. I mean, I, I read articles all the time about, you know, the title, uh, why technology has ruined the planet, or, or you hear certain people talking about how they just pine for days before the digital age. And sure. if I'm being honest, I've probably said that a few times as well. I, I, I at times maybe feel a little out of place in our technological world. But, you know, oftentimes we have a tendency to romanticize the past a little bit, right? Because a world without modern day technology would also be a world without airplanes, a world without modern sure. medicine, 
a world with far less food because of the agricultural inventions that have come around. And if we're being honest this morning, uh, we can complain about technology, but technology has brought a lot of good along with some of the negatives as well. I was just reminded of this this last year when my my grandma uh, found out she had to have open heart surgery. She had to have a quintuple bypass surgery, okay? And yeah, that's a lot, right? There you go. So uh, that's one of those that's one of those moments where we start to marvel at modern technology. That is an incredible surgery where they uh, break open your sternum, they open up your heart, they cool your heart, they do all these different procedures, and she, she can survive. I mean, that is incredible that we have surgeries like that. And because of that surgery, my grandma was able to heal and come to my wedding six months later and fly out to California and be there for just mm-hmm. an important day in, in our lives. So as we think about this, we realize, yeah, technology brings some negative, some bad, some hard, but technology also brings a lot of good and helpful and great. So how do we reconcile these two? And that's, that's what we want to do a little bit of this morning. How can we as Christ followers build a healthy theology of technology? Because we realize that technology can be an incredible blessing, but also a devastating curse. Sure, sure. It can help human life to flourish, but it can also rob us of true joy, true community, and true purpose. So how can we uh, be wise in the era of the digital age as Christ followers? So that's what we want to seek to apply a little bit. Yeah, so the big idea here really is that we have to understand what technology is and really define that because I think if we ask the room, we may get multiple answers. Technology is really any type of tool designed by human ingenuity. So that's a broad term that, there. That's very broad. Is a tool. Purposely, yeah. Technology is simply a tool. And so because of that, we have to, I want to look back, really, where do we see technology for the first time? Um, it's not a recent development. It's not something new with the digital age or, you know, the industrial revolution. Uh, really, technology goes back to the origin of the universe. I think I, we can make a good case for that. If you take a moment, think about uh, the first time we encounter technology in Scripture. So you might think about uh, Noah building the ark. You might think about the tools that are used for the boat. Example, yeah. You might think about Genesis 4, where the first musical instruments are, are created for worship. But we're going to go back a little further than that. How far back, Jerry? We're going we back to the creation narrative. We're going back to the first chapter, Genesis 1. Uh, Genesis 1, 27 to 28, it's plain as day. It's plain as it's day. It's just going to jump off the it's page It's going to jump you, right? off okay. the page. Here we go. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Point made. There you are. So technology is in there? Okay, I'm just kidding. Technology, yeah. So there's a couple things we want to hit on where we see technology all the way back in the creation mandate as this passage is often talked about. So the first one is this. Whose image are we created in? That's slightly rhetorical, but you guys can interact. Whose image are we created in? God's image, right? We are created and designed in God's image. That's something that we would call the Imago Dei. And that has many different implications for how we, how we understand ourselves, how we understand humanity. Uh, but one specific way that this applies, God created us in his image to uniquely reflect his creative character 
in the universe that we find ourselves in. So animals aren't creating and innovating and uh, designing new things. We are, though. That's part of our God-given ability to reflect the image of God. And as we develop, as we create, as we innovate, what's the product of that innovation? Technology. That's, that's what comes about. Technology is any tool that we come up with that God uh, gives us to help reflect that creative nature. So that's the first thing that we see. We're created in the image of God, and as we live that out, we're going to produce technology. But a second thing, notice in verse 28, God says that we are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But then he also uses this phrase here, we're to subdue the earth. That word subdue And the original language means to take under one's control. It means to subjugate, to conquer. And what it's really talking about there, God has given us a universe with vast natural resources. Resources to be mined, to be cultivated, to be used to subdue the earth, to help human uh, life to flourish, to help the creation flourish. And as we do that, we're going to be coming up with technology and tools all along the way. So technology is really that umbrella tool, a term for any tool that we produce to live out this creation mandate. And we want to start there. We want to start all the way back in Genesis 1 because we want to build a theology of technology that says technology is not something that happened after the fall. It's not inherently evil. It's not inherently bad. However, technology is also not inherently good or righteous or holy. Instead, Technology is merely the tools that we develop. And tools can be used for either great good or great evil. It all depends on the morality or immorality of the person holding the tool. Yeah, we see that, we see that pattern all over Scripture, actually. We see, you know, instruments designed to, to sing, you know, and, and, and shout praises and, and trumpets to play songs to, to Yahweh, to God. But there's also those same instruments that are used to worship false gods all throughout the Old Testament. And we even see it in the New Testament. Really think about development of architecture. The same technology that allowed the beautiful temple to be built by Solomon, uh, a place of worship, the, you know, the house of God, was also able, that same technology was able to be used uh, with, with the Tower of Babel, where people mm-hmm. came together to build a tower to the heavens, uh, specifically so they wouldn't be separated and to make a name for themselves. Yeah. That same technology, once designed to give glory to God, once designed to give glory to themselves, or even consider the cross. This was, uh, this was an invention by the Persians who were, you know, uh, crafted and made excellent by the Romans and designed to torture a person as a result of a punishment. You know, this was, this was what they gave to criminals to die slowly on the cross. So it not only killed them slowly, but allowed people all around to see this is what happens when you, when you mess with Rome. Um, and yet we see that same technology is the avenue which we see our Lord and Savior die for our sins. And so um, there's just this technology one-two-ness that, that it's not inherently bad, it's not inherently good. Uh, it's really just what the, really the whole scenario is that goes along with that. And I think we're going to see this over and over again today is it's not so much the, the, the circumstance, much the heart issue. It's really mm-hmm. what goes on on the inside. And so uh, when I was in high school, we had this thing called a sin burn. And, and, you know, my youth pastor would get up and say, maybe your thing is baseball. And for me, it was. I played baseball as a kid. And, and the idea is baseball is not inherently 
evil, but maybe playing baseball gets in the way of you doing devotions or you spending time with God or coming to youth group or something like that. And so they had this thing called a sin burn, which was a big barrel of fire, kind of fun. Um, and what you do is you get up in front of the group and you would kind of have this time of confession of, hey, you know, I, I did this. I, I really love baseball to the point where I focus on baseball more than God. I go to practice instead of youth group. It's really interfering. So I took a baseball and you kind of just declare what's going on. You throw it in the fire. That's a symbol, like we're getting rid of the sin. It's just, it's just a cool way for students to symbolize I'm getting more serious with God. Um, we also had this really cool thing. Uh, we thought if we had stopped listening to secular music, if we stopped listening to the bad music, we would take all of our CDs. CDs were what a thing. What are those? Yeah, those little plastic you know, <laughs> things where you put them in that can scratch. Gotcha, gotcha. It's amazing what there was back in the day. And we would take them, we would bring them to church, and we would put them down in the youth pastor. We'd get the big purple school bus, I'm not joking, and he would shift it in reverse and run over the bad CDs because if we got rid of the bad CDs, then we'd stop sinning. And once again, it kind of proves the point. So are you telling us that we need to get all our iPads and iPhones out in the parking lot and you're going to get the bus and roll over them? I don't have the church keys, the bus keys with me Okay, okay. So that's not what we're doing today. (laughs) No, but there's this this idea that it's not just the bad CDs, right, or the baseball. These are are examples of, of, sometimes we say, if we just get rid of this stuff, then we'll stop sinning. But the reality is what we want to go deeper in today is that it's not really the things, it's really a heart issue. It's really this pattern we see all throughout scripture. We we still see today. And that really brings us to our our first thing we want to jump into today. So we're going to give five warnings, just five different applications for how we can use the tools of technology to bring honor and glory to God rather than to further our selfishness and our sin. And the first one is we need to realize something important. We need to realize that how we use technology our tech time, it reveals something about the condition of our heart. Okay, so technology is not the problem. Our hearts are the problem. How we use technology gives us a powerful glimpse onto what's going on right here in our hearts, how hot or cold we are spiritually. Okay, I I want us to think about what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 43. I'll read it and you can follow along on the screen. It says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. And then jumping down to 45, it says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. So in this passage... Jesus is giving us a timely, pointed principle for our spiritual lives that says whatever's going on in here is going to overflow into the things that we're thinking, that we're saying, that we're doing into our habits, right? There's going to be an overflow. So if there's bad fruit, bad thoughts, bad actions, bad behaviors in a person's life, there's a bad, rotten core at the center of the person, right? If there's good fruit, then there's a good, righteous core at the center of the person, And while this passage isn't specifically talking about technology, I think it absolutely applies to that area as well. How we use technology is a clear reflection of what we are treasuring in our hearts, whether good treasure, righteous treasure, holy things, or sinful, immoral, and and unrighteous things. So let me paraphrase this passage in 21st century words to make it a little more clear, okay? Okay. Out of the abundance of the heart, The hands tweet, okay? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouse clicks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the internet browsing history is written. Out of the abundance of the heart, our 
our, our downtime is filled with how we use uh, a technology and how we prioritize things. So what, what's our point here? Well, I think our point is this. We, we encounter people all the time. It's very easy for all of us to do it in our own lives as well, where technology becomes the scapegoat for our sins, where if technology wasn't in my life, I wouldn't struggle. It's all technology's fault. And technology kind of becomes the poster thing of that's the biggest barrier, the biggest enemy to the Christ-centered, sanctifying life, when the reality is the biggest barrier to a Christ-centered, sanctifying life is our own flesh. It's our own broken, sinful hearts. So what that sounds like is someone saying, you know, I'm only a workaholic because in this, in this 24th century culture where I bring technology home with me, I can't get away from it, I get emails 24-7, I just have to work when I get home. That's the, it's technology, that's the only reason I'm a workaholic. Or I'm only anxious because of all the doom and gloom that's on the news stations 24-7. Uh, I hear all this negativity all the time and that's why I'm anxious and fearful and, and cranky. And You know, I'm only unengaged with my kids because they're always on their phones. It's their fault I'm a bad parent that doesn't know what's going on in their life because all they want to be is ever on, the, on their device. Or the only reason I, I struggle with pornography is because it's so easily accessible having a, a smartphone in my pocket. It's not, it's not my fault. I only struggle with discontentment because on social media it looks like everyone else's life is better than my own. It's not my fault. The arrival of the digital age has certainly brought new challenges to the Christ-centered life. However, we need to make sure that we're being absolutely clear on something. Technology can tempt us to sin, but it can never force us to sin. The ownership of sin needs to be on, on us. It's, it's a heart issue, ultimately, the way that we're using technology, which means that when we're addressing how we use technology, we need to address those real heart roots behind it. So if there's someone here that says, you know, I struggle with looking at pornography on my smartphone, I want to put an internet browser that kind of locks that on my phone, that's a great first step. But just because you have an internet browser lock, that's not going to address those deeper heart issues of entitlement, of lust, of, uh, of objectifying uh, another person. We've got to address those deeper spiritual roots. The same is true if I'm struggling with discontentment. Sure, undownloading Instagram might be a great step. But guess what? There's going to be other things you look around and feel just as discontent. You've got to address those deeper spiritual issues of what am I looking to to find satisfaction in over Christ? Uh, so ultimately, our first warning is we need to realize that our sinful use of technology has spiritual roots. Technology isn't the problem. Our flesh and our hearts are the problem. And you know, one of those areas where technology and our spiritual lives overlap a lot is this area of community. Technology has flourished over the last couple decades, a lot of digital technology, with the idea that it's going to help foster relationships and community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that true? And if not, what are some of the dangers with that, and how can we, how can we approach that overlap uh, biblically as Christians? Yeah, I think the first thing we, we ought to realize when we're thinking about this idea of community and technology is that we were designed and created for community. Uh, we as people are created for community. First community with our Heavenly Father, mm. then with one another. And the reality is, is it's not a bad thing to seek out community. Um, it's, just, it's just interesting that we've connected so many things. Like I'm watching um, a fishing channel yesterday morning, and they're talking about these like fish you know, sonars, you drop in the ice, and it can Bluetooth with all the guys around you, so you can kind of see each other's fishing holes. It's, that's pretty awesome, actually. But <laughs> I just, I'm thinking, like, there's just, I, we have to connect everything. Like, 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 you can get 
a coffee mug that keeps your coffee a certain degree and you can change it from your Apple Watch. And there's this idea of like, we want to be connected, right? Or, or you do, can you, do you have this coffee mug? That's not the point. It's just the <laughs> fact that... Christmas gift, man, my mom. All right. uh-huh, um, uh-huh. There's just these things out there that we have to be connected. Thanks, Andrew. Um, they're not as cool, though, as my Valentine's Day gift of technology where my wife put my dog on my socks. Thank you very much. Um, technology can be cool. But this idea of connectedness, right, a gift with a silly picture on it or, or this idea that we can be connected at the fishing hole, um, there, are, there are different avenues. We create this, this connectedness that we just kind of, we kind of miss the point, I think, of what community really is designed for. Um, if we're not careful as Christ followers, we can settle for a caricature of what real community is about. And so if you think about social media, you know, maybe the younger you are, or maybe, maybe it's for some of the folks, you know, the average Facebook user is a 40-year-old woman. Um, the average video game uh, player is a 28-year-old man. Um, these, these stats are just kind of staggering because it's not just a young person problem. And, and so what we see is when, by people like, liking my stuff on, online or if I have X amount of friends online, I get value from that. And, that, and that's actually a breakdown of community. Um, you know, I think about, and I want to be careful here because there's some actually really good things that come from this. And people I know at Highland have, this is their story. But even dating apps and sites and, and things, if we're looking for a hole to be filled that's not of God, if we're, if we're trying to find something that only God can provide, uh, being connected with someone online through a dating site or app is not actually helping address that community need that, that we have if it's not from uh, God. You think about gaming, right? Whether it's video games or whether it's computer games or, or whatever it is, um, there's this sense of community because I have my headset on. Sometimes I, 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 with students I talk about you know, their friends and they'll talk about people who are their friends. They've never met them. They just mm-hmm. talk on the headsets and play video games. We've redefined this idea of friendship. You know, I, I, I'm kind of a nerd, and when, when I read a good book, I like to reach out to the author and kind of address, you know, some questions I have in the book. Or, and, and I did this with a, a book I got for Christmas, and I reached out to the guy, and it was awesome. But he ended our Facebook Messenger conversation with, nice to meet you. Well, I wouldn't define that as meeting him. I would address that as, like, we, we just kind of messaged for a few minutes. Um, We've, re, we've redefined some of these terms. And so I think for the Christian, we have to think about are we seeking authentic community or are we, are we seeking synthetic community? And the reality is when we, when, we, when we settle for the caricature or the synthetic community, it actually robs us of real community. And so it's not just a matter of, you know, settling for one, not the other. It's actually we're getting robbed because there's real community there's real um, fellowship available. And I want to be careful. That's, I'm not saying that like the good old days when everyone just kind of did things face to face, that's community. Mm-hmm. There are legitimate ways to find community digitally. There are, there are you, know, you know, I just got home last night late from my mom's house. It was awesome. She lives four hours south of here. And it was really nice to give her a hug as opposed to the Skype message that we have. But in our household, we use Skype to talk to grandma, talk to mom, and that's just kind of part of it. So technology can foster community. It just goes back to, once again, the heart issue, and, and whether it's authentic community or the synthetic community that actually robs us from what God has for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then moving, kind of moving on to a, a different area, our, our third warning. Here's our third one. We need to guard against technology's uh, temptation to addict us to distraction. Mm. Okay. To addict us to distraction. This probably isn't going to come as a surprise to any of us, but a lot of Americans are addicted to distraction. 
That's just the country, that's the society, that's the culture that we live in right now. Here's some statistics to back up my claim a little bit. The average American, not teenager, the average American checks their smartphone over 81,500 times a year, which equals out to being every four and a half minutes of our waking lives. Okay? Okay? Now moving on to teenagers. One out of four teenagers admits to spending over eight hours a day on screen time, with another one out of four saying they're somewhere in the four to eight hour range. So it's 50% of young people saying, I'm on screens at least four hours a day, most of them six or eight hours a day. And, And here's another one. Researchers have found that last year there was $16 billion stolen from U.S. corporations. Not through embezzlement, not through uh, the type of stealing you're probably thinking of. $16 billion stolen by people using social media, their, their, their personal uh, smartphone devices on company time, and using those types of things rather than working like they were supposed to. $16 billion in lost time because of people. So, so we live in a 21st century world where we are addicted to distraction. There's a literal buffet of things that we can always be choosing from there competing for our attention, whether that's social media, whether that's Netflix, whether that's newspapers or the 24-7 news cycles, a, a variety of things. We have all these different things that are competing for our attention. And all of these technological distractions are literally designed to try to keep us engaged with them, right? To keep us uh, purchasing that product, to spend more and more time on that website or, or using their medium of, of entertainment. They're designed to be addictive in nature. And as Christians, we need to realize the damaging effects that that can have on us spiritually. This idea of we cannot be living a life that's addicted to distraction. And one of the reasons our sinful flesh is drawn to distraction is because it escapes the things in life that are most worthwhile and most meaningful, but at the same time, difficult, require effort, and require work. We use digital distraction to procrastinate work we don't want to do. Uh, when I was, no, never. That, that was never me in college. Absolutely not, right? No, it happens to us all the time. Uh, we use digital distractions to avoid people we don't want to connect with. Just walk into Starbucks and see how many people are talking and how many people are on their device and like awkwardly looking around saying, don't talk to me, right? We use digital distractions to avoid having conversations. Uh, We use digital uh, distractions to numb the stress and the emotional pain and the anxieties of life. How many many people have heard someone say, I just want to go home and and just kind of veg out because life is so stressful for right now. I just want to, I just want to kind of shut down, right? We use digital distraction to give us the illusion of busyness in our schedule so we feel better about ourselves, right? Uh, But the problem is the distracted life is contrary to the life that we're supposed to be living as Christ's followers. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This passage reminds us that anyone that's professing to be a Christ follower, our life should not be defined by distraction. Instead, it should be razor sharp focused on pursuing Christ, pursuing things that matter in light of eternity, setting our mind first on the things that are above. So really a distraction for a Christ follower is anything that's tempting us to draw our gaze away from Christ and be distracted by all the different things that are competing for our time and attention here in the world. 
And that's so important because the distracted life leads to a wasted life. You know, I, I think of uh, John Piper's book, the, um, oh, what am I? Don't Waste Your Life. Don't, don't Waste Your Life. Thank you. It's right there. Don't Waste Your Life. But he says, when we get to eternity, uh, how would you like to go up to God? And, and he says, you know, show me what you did. And you say, look, look at my seashell, my seashell collection. Look at all this. Look at, look at what I did. God, I collected all these. And he's saying, okay, I had something so much greater in store for you, right? So how many of us, when we get to heaven one day, are going to say, God, look at, look at my, look at how many seasons of this I was able to down in Netflix on one, in one month. Isn't that incredible, God? And God's not going to be super excited by that, right? So we don't want to waste our lives on distractions. Um, so let's pause today and just ask that question, am I addicted to distraction? What's my first reaction when I walk into Starbucks and my appointment's a little bit late? Am I going to whip out my phone or try to have a conversation with someone? Uh, young person in between classes at school or college, are you going to use that 15 minutes to get a head start on homework so you can go to crew or youth group that night? Or is it immediately going to be texting, catching up, and, and using your phone just to kind of escape for a little bit? When we jump in the car, what's the first thing that we do? Uh, do we try to fill that quiet time and that, uh, that, that noiselessness by turning on the radio? Or, or maybe we could use that just to be calm, to pray, to think about our day. If we're being honest, there's a lot of ways that we can be addicted to distraction. So we need to challenge ourselves to say, man, I'm going to start guarding my heart and making sure that I'm prioritizing the, the right things. Sure. So distraction is one of those areas we need to guard our, our hearts when it comes to technology. But another, another area is this idea of technology being a way to be a platform to promote things and promote myself or promote it. So how can we sure. how can you interact with the idea of technology as a platform for promotion wisely as Christians? Yeah, I mean, there, there's an immaturity with us as people that we want people to notice the nice things we have, right? And so not, not, that's just not everyone, you know, but there, but some of us, perhaps myself even at times, are guilty of, hey, check out this new device or this, this kind of car or this, these clothes I wear, whatever it is. Um, we have this idea that it, if people notice us, there's value in, in that. And, and specifically in the area of, of social media uh, is where we see a lot of this platform elevation. This is something um, I think that we as Christians, sometimes we get this confused. And I call this uh, the social media slippery slope, right? It's very, it's very... Uh, Trademarked. Yes, there it is. Um, it's this thing where we, we, maybe we join, you know, Facebook or Instagram or some sort of social media to kind of, just kind of check things out, right? And then maybe we throw some things up there and then we really get in the groove, right? Where it's like, all right, I'm going to throw pictures of my pet. Or then also it's like, the best burrito I've ever eaten, hashtag, you know gift from God, whatever it is, right? Hash, bless, whatever it is. We say these things about our food, right? I love my kid and I love these donuts. And we say the same words about all these different things. And it gets really kind of messy. And then we see something we agree with in our faith and we kind of post it. Or then we see something we agree with kind of politically and then we post it. And what happens is before long, you get down this road where if you check our social media, people can tell us how we vote or who we cheer for on, on, on any given Sunday or, or, you know, how many grandkids or children or pets we have, but we kind of miss the message of this idea of having a platform to make Jesus great. You know, if, if you go to my social media, you're, gonna, you're probably going to see a lot of Chicago Cubs stuff certain times of year. Um, so I'm not just saying this is something I know with everyone else. This is something in my own life where um, family members who know, you know, I'm a Christian can go on my Facebook and see what sports teams I, I cheer for. They can see all the other things. And I'm not saying we have to have our, our Facebooks and our Instagrams just coated with cheesy Christian media. I'm not saying that. But there's this idea of 
we find ourselves in these pointless conversations that, that lead to arguments online because we're not settling for the authentic community. We're settling for the synthetic community. And all of a sudden what happens is our digital world becomes very real to us because now we're, we're hot and just you know, frustrated or we're sad or someone hurt our feelings or whatever it is, but the digital world increasingly becomes more and more real the younger you are statistically. And so challenging us to think about how do we not get so engulfed in this platform of I got to make sure I'm okay. I got to make sure everyone notices that I'm okay. We may have fought for seven minutes before that family picture, but by golly, we're all smiling. Okay, guilty. Um, but we have this idea here of we, if everyone... The photoshopped could, life, right? The, 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 it's the highlight reel. If the we can acknowledge reel. that that social media is the highlight reel, we can stop the comparison, I think. And, and for the Christian, we have a chance, I think, for to really make Jesus known and we, and in all areas of life. And it's weird because we all kind of deny this idea that social media, they're like, social media, who cares? It's just, it's just online. Except we find ourselves 20 minutes into someone's social media investigating. Or if someone we see in the store, we're like, name, name, name. You go to, maybe you go to social media. For being so fake, it, it sure does influence our lives in a real way. And so trying to realize that, that, Let's put it in its proper place and let's not make it something it, it, it ought not to be. We want to make sure that social media and technology is not the Tower of Babel of the 21st it's century. It's just a tool. Where we're making yeah. a name for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, great among, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's super helpful. Take the last one in. Yeah, yeah. So our fifth, kind of our fifth warning that we want to close on today is this. When it comes to technology and our use of technology, we need to remember that we become like what we like. Okay? Hmm. We become like what we like. So the things that we like digitally, the games we play, the accounts we follow, the news articles we read, the music we listen to, the podcasts we're downloading, we become like what we like. Because all of those different sources of media, of, uh, what, and whatever technology, whatever generation you're from, so if you're from the generation that you still love uh, kind of a newspaper and the news station, realize that's technology just as much, and every time we consume technology, that's a little gateway into our hearts, and it's a dump truck that gets to dump stuff right into the core of who we are. We become like what we like. So we need to guard against the deception that what I watch, what I read, what I play, what I follow, all these things doesn't impact the person and the character that I'm forming in my life. It absolutely does. And Paul is so serious about this. In Philippians 4, he gives us a filter for the Christ-centered life that we need to be running everything in our life through to make sure that we're being conformed to Christ's image and no other image in our life. So listen to these words in, in Philippians 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here, he's giving us a filter for our lives, and he says, before you consume something, before you engage with something, before you uh, click on something, listen to something, follow something, we need to be asking these questions is this, something, is this something that champions justice? Is this something that upholds truth? Is this something that applauds purity? Is this something that God would find praiseworthy and commendable? 
And if we started using that filter to filter out all the stuff and all the media and all the technology use in our lives through, if we're being honest, what would be left? There's probably a lot of things that would get filtered out pretty fast. And this isn't a passage to hear Pastor Jared and myself that we're kind of like the, the media police, right? Where we're going to give you our posted list of approved items and disapproved. We'll get the school bus ready. To get back the school bus ready. CDs, we're going to be right? backing yeah. over all yeah. your, yeah, that's, that's not what we're doing. It's not saying that the only thing as Christians we can ever watch are movies like Fireproof and Facing the Giants, right? The, great, but it's not saying that those are the only things we can ever watch. That's, that's not what we're here to say. But we are here to say, if we're using God's filter, there are going to certainly be things we're not going to watch, play, listen, or follow, right? There's going to be things that we just cut out because it says, this is not helping me follow Christ. Then there's going to be gray areas where the Spirit's going to convict as well. And if we're feeling a conviction, guess what? We shouldn't keep watching. We shouldn't keep playing. We shouldn't keep following. We need to cut that out as well. Ultimately, we must prioritize our sanctification over our quote-unquote freedom, right? Our, our freedom to watch something, our freedom to play something. Sure. We have to prioritize our, our sanctification. Um, and and we, when we do that, it's not always going to be easy or comfortable. There might be moments where it gets kind of awkward where you have to stand up and say, you know, I don't, I don't want to watch this. Mm-hmm. There might be movies that you have to walk out of as a Christ follower. There might be times where you have to be the person that walks out when everyone else is okay with it. Mm-hmm. We got to be okay with being uncomfortable if we realize that what we like be- informs who we, who we become. So with just our last two minutes, what, what are a couple tangible things we can do this week to start guarding our hearts? Sure. Take, well, I'm going to give yeah. one practical application, Great. one shameless plug, f- full warning, right? So <laughs> okay. first off, one thing that when we first preached this message um, a few weeks back, my wife was in the audience, and, and she held me to this, and I can tell you this was something that was, was very valuable to us, is, is really if we took 20 30, 45, 60 minutes to truly sit down. Um, If you're single, just you and the Lord. If you're with a family, as a family, reflect on your use of technology. Um, That's all technology. That's everything from newspaper to tablet to radio to MP3 player, whatever it is. Um, And and ask God really to show you what your relationship with that technology is. Is there a dependency that ought not be there? Uh, Take some time to truly have conversation about what this looks like. And really, it starts with, with, with parents. It really starts as the, with the leaders of the home. Um, you know, the amount of students that walk in my office and, and we have conversation about Christmas or about, you know, family time. And it, it, you always think the students are the ones on, on, on tablets, but they've said things like, well, time I'm home with my mom, she's just on her cell phone. Or my dad's always working on his work laptop. And, and, and our young people notice that we have these habits in our own lives, and it's really easy for us to point the finger. So that's where, as an adult, I have to say, Lord, please show me where, where I need this because I do need this. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, if you're someone who's like, I just want some tools, I don't really know what's going on in some of these areas, help, I'm, I, I, I want to be a parent or I'm a parent um, or I'm a grandparent, and these kids are just doing all kinds of things, I don't even know what's going on. A couple weeks, February 27th, during the G180 time, I'm going to let youth group happen, and I'm going to hang out with all the adults who show up, and we're going to have time in the, in the youth room. The students will be in the cafe room where we'll just go through um, tips and tricks of today's technology with teenagers. That's all teas. I didn't even realize that. That's awesome. Um, but it's apps and lingo and emojis and like what, apps that you're, maybe your students yeah. are using that you don't know about. Those kind of things where we're just going to kind of share all the secrets to help partner with families to help this help you really fight the battle uh, on the home front. So and then, those are two ways. Yeah, one, one more word of application for this week as well. Let's, 
let's agree together as a church family, as a community to say, man, we want to start nipping this addiction to distraction in the bud right now. Mm -hmm. So what are some practical steps we can take to do this week? Well, first, maybe consider saying, you know what? Um, At night, we're going to have a little spot as a family where all the cell phones go and cell phones aren't going to follow us into into when it's time for bed. That way we're not wasting 45 minutes of what we should be sleeping or using for other, and instead being on our phones that we can reclaim that time. And we're going to have a spot right in the family room where all the phones go. Maybe that could be a great option. Maybe a great option could be one of the things that Satan most wants to distract us from is our quiet time. So maybe our quiet time each day, we say, you know what? I'm going to turn my phone on do not disturb. I'm not going to check my emails. I'm not going to have any other uh, browsers or anything open. It's just me, my Bible, my prayer time. It's just going to be me and God. I'm going to protect that time from all the digital distractions that try to interrupt. Maybe what that could look like for us is just when we're out and about and we do feel that temptation that we're really uncomfortable in public and maybe we feel kind of, instead of pulling out our phone, putting that down and trying to interact and build a bridge and have a connection with someone and, and be friendly, welcoming Christians and, and interact with the people that God puts in our path. But let's look for those little areas where we can say, you know what, I don't really need technology right now. I'm using that as a crutch because I'm uncomfortable, because I don't want to work, because I don't want to do this. And let's say, okay, let's put that down, reclaim that time and say, how can I use this for, for God's purposes? Awesome. So let, let me close this with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, continue on with some worship this morning. Father, we thank you for these helpful passages embedded all throughout Scripture that give us a great filter and a great lens for how we can use technology well. And God, with technology, it truly is a gift, and there are so many ways that we can use technology to uh, just glorify you in ways that past generations haven't. I think of uh, just ways that we can connect instantaneously with people around the world, that we can disciple people from 2,000 miles away, that uh, we can stay in contact with loved ones. There are so many great gifts with technology, but Father, there's also a lot of dangers. And we just want to pray that we are using technology rightly to grow us to look more like Christ and not in the way that our culture and our world uses technology that just plunges us into further sin and selfishness. So help us to guard our hearts. Help us to be people who truly are seeking first the kingdom of God and setting our mind on things above. We love you, Father. We pray for your help in these areas. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.